when God speaks that word, he strengthens your faith. He puts oil in your lamp. He lifts your depression. He restores your hope. He clarifies your calling and he lightens your path. Welcome to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire, author and founding senior pastor of the exciting Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Pastor Jeff is known for his heartfelt and practical proclamation of the scriptures. We are so glad you joined us today. So stay tuned as Pastor Jeff teaches, encourages, and challenges you from the Word of God. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Life Talk. I'm Jeff Wickwire, and thank you so much for joining us this time. Today, we're continuing the series, Encouragement for Discouraging Times, where we're going to look at how God encourages us. You know, I learned a long time ago that what I believe about God has everything to do with what I expect from God. Some people picture God with a furrowed brow, always angry, and just waiting for them to make a mistake so that he can beat them down with condemnation. But the God of the Bible is a God of love, patience, long-suffering, hope, and, yes, encouragement. So let's go right to the message on how God encourages us and learn from the Bible the ways God uses to bring encouragement to discouraged hearts. Today, I want to share with us how God encourages us. How do I allow God to encourage me? Because God wants to encourage you today. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I do know if we were honest, many of you in here today are discouraged for a variety of reasons. Well, I'm going to share with you a word that if you'll hear it, I believe you'll go out of here encouraged in the Lord because our God is an encouraging God. I want you to notice what this verse tells us about God. But God who encourages those who are discouraged. You know, I learned a long time ago, it matters how you see God, what you believe about God, how you view God. Because some of you believe that God is furrow-browed, angry about most of the time, steam coming out of his ears, and he's up there in heaven just waiting for you to make a mistake so he can squash you like a June bug. That's not God. I'm going to read it again. But God who encourages those who are discouraged. So we're going to see today how God encourages us. Once upon a time, the devil decided to have a garage sale and sell all the tools of his trade. And so in the garage sale, here were the tools of his trade that he was selling, envy, jealousy, hatred, deceit, pride, that's a good one, idolatry, and many others. And every one of the tools was marked with its own price tag. Then one day, on the day of the big sale, all his tools were neatly and attractively displayed. And over in the corner, way over yonder, over by itself, was a harmless-looking, wedge-shaped tool, very worn out, but it had a higher price tag than all the others. And somebody asked the devil, why is that one priced so high when it's more worn out than all the others? And the devil said, it's my favorite. I use it more than all the others. And so the person, of course, said, well, then what is it? Tell me what it is. What is that tool that you use more than all the other tools of your trade? And he said, it's discouragement. 
I use discouragement against God's people more than any tool in my trade. It's well-worn because it works on just about everybody. And I keep getting away with it. I keep getting by with it. I'm able to discourage the people of God, and so I just keep on using it. And, folks, we live in a discouraging time. And that little story, though it's made up in fiction, it's true. If you were to ask me, Pastor Jeff, what does the devil use against God's people more than any single thing? I would have to say discouragement. We get discouraged, don't we? Life can be discouraging. And because discouragement is so prevalent in these last days and the the spiritual temperature of warfare has been ratcheted up so high... We've got to learn what we've been hearing the last few weeks. We must know how to encourage ourselves when nobody's around. And we must know how to encourage one another and not tear one another down. And we've got to learn, like we're going to learn today, how to let God encourage us. Because God wants to encourage you today. He doesn't want you discouraged. He wants you encouraged. Jesus never got discouraged. With all that happened to him, all the betrayal, all of the attack, all the slander, all of the words that were fired against him, all the lies that were told about him, even when his own disciples could not tarry one hour and pray with him, he was disappointed in them, but Jesus wasn't discouraged. You say, Jeff, how do you know that? Because Isaiah prophesied concerning Messiah, he shall not fail and he shall not be discouraged. Jesus never got discouraged. So you know what that tells me about Jesus? He knows how to encourage the discouraged because he never gave in to it. Though he was tempted to be discouraged, he's tempted in all points like we are, yet he never yielded to discouragement. Can you imagine that? Everybody is touched by discouragement at one time or another. I don't care how strong you think you are, how spiritual you are. You know that you have been and you can be discouraged. And so the Bible is very honest about the people in it. And that's what I love about the Bible. It tells us the truth about its heroes. And I took a little quick scan through the Bible and I found that Moses was so discouraged. He wanted God to kill him. Now that's discouraged. Kill me, God. I call that discouragement on steroids. Joshua was so prone to discouragement, he needed to be told constantly, be strong and have a good courage. Elijah also asked God to take his life. He was so discouraged, sitting under the juniper tree, out there in the wilderness. He looked up and he said, God, it's enough. Take my life. I'm not greater than my father's. He literally asked God to take his life. He was so discouraged. And, of course, the God who encourages the discouraged fed him angels' food took him to a cave and gave him a brand new assignment and brought him out of the pit of discouragement. Job was so discouraged he despaired of life. Even his own wife was telling him, curse God and die. That's a bad scene. Jeremiah was so discouraged he wanted to quit preaching. He said, I am so tired of being persecuted, so tired of people coming against me, so tired of being lied about. I'm not going to preach anymore. But as soon as he said it, He said, his word became like a fire shut up in my bones, and I got a bad case of the can't help it. Amen. You know, when you're called to preach, you can't help it. You must preach. But he was so 
discouraged. He said, I'm going to quit preaching. David suffered so many times of discouragement, great discouragement, as his psalms tell us over and over again. Simon Peter was so discouraged, he tried returning to his old life. He tried returning to fishing. He walked away. I'm going fishing. I messed up. I blew it. I'm discouraged. I'm disappointed in myself. And he caught nothing. And you and I, if we try to return to our old life, let me tell you what you're going to catch. Nothing. There's nothing there for you. The only place for a disciple of Christ to go is forward in God. But all Christians get discouraged. Discouragement sets in when you've done the best that you can do. You believe God. You've prayed. And then you thought this was going to happen and that happens. You thought you were going to go here and you end up there. You thought things were going to look like this, and now they look like that. And you are disappointed. Your faith is disappointed. As it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so you're discouraged. You're worn out. You're tired, lonely, disillusioned. You feel like quitting. Now I'm going to share a truth with you about God. Let me tell you something about the God who sent his son. And I want you to remember this one statement. You ought to make it a refrigerator sticker when you get home. It's worth looking at. Are you ready? Here it is. When the devil is actively at work to discourage you, God is actively at work to encourage you. Now I want you to remember that. Matter of fact, let's just say it together. When the devil is at work to discourage me, God is at work to encourage me. He's wanting to encourage you right now, and I'm part of it because I'm going to share with you an encouraging word. How many of you want the encouragement of God today? Amen? So how does God then encourage us? Because it says he encourages the discouraged. Well, if he's an encourager of the discouraged, how does he do it? I'm going to share three ways that God does it with you. First, he encourages us with the promise of his presence, the promise of his presence. Don't you love the presence of God? You know, that's why I love worship, because he inhabits the praises of his people. And you start out singing, and all of a sudden, whoosh, you're not alone. And that power of the Holy Spirit is there. And we're able to fellowship with him and enjoy his presence. You know, I believe one of the things that's going to make hell hell is the presence of God will not be there. And you know what I think is going to make heaven heaven? The presence of God is going to be so thick you can cut it with a knife. The presence of God. And God encourages us when we get discouraged with the promise of his presence. Throughout the Bible, I noticed God encourages his people with these words. And it's repeated person after person. These words. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Did you know one of God's names in Hebrew is Jehovah Shammah, meaning the Lord is there, or the Lord who is there. Now, God's presence is all throughout the world. We call it the omnipresence of God. His presence is all throughout the world. But listen, saints, not his manifest presence. His manifest presence is only with his people. It says, the eyes of the Lord go throughout the entire world, beholding the evil and the good. That's the presence of God. David said, if I go to heaven, I can't get away from you. If I go down into hell, I still can't get away from you. If I sprout wings and fly to the uttermost parts of the earth, even there your hand shall find me. You can't escape 
the eye of God. But listen, when it comes to the saints of God, there is a promise. My manifest presence is with you. I promise to be with you. My manifest presence. This is God's first step in encouraging us. He promises us his presence and his help. It's what he told Abraham. He told it to Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Mary, Paul, Peter, and many more. Here's the words. He said, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Now, I believe he does that first for a reason. Here's the reason. It's our greatest need. When I'm in a trial, my greatest need is to know that he is with me, that he is there, that he is my Jehovah Shammah, the one who is there. Moses one day, God had told him to lead the people forward, and Moses said something I fully understand. He said, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't make us go on from here. Lord, if you're not going to be with us, I'm not moving. I'm not taking one step until I know you are with me. I so understand that statement. Every work that I've ever undertaken for God, the first thing I want to know is, Lord, I got to know this. You got to tell me this right up front. Are you with me in this work? Because if you're not going with me, don't let me go. Keep me right where I am until I know that you're in front of me, behind me, beside me, above me, below me, and carrying me. I got to know that your presence, Lord, is with me. And when I know he's with me, I'm as bold as a lion. When I know he's with me, I can go through anything. I can walk through any valley. I can climb any mountain. I can survive any fire or flood. I can do anything when I know he's with me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me when he's with me. Amen. Thank God for his presence. Now, let me just make a little distinction here. He's not just with us in the trial. He's not just with you in the fire. He's not just with you in the oven. He's not just there when you're going through a valley, but he's in it with you. He's in it with you. Oh, I love the Lord. I love his word. You know, I tell myself on the way to church today, I said, now, Jeff, today it's raining real hard, probably be a little bit light. Some people will be gone. So why don't you try settling down a little bit? Why don't you try just being conversational? And I get up here and I start reading the Word, and I completely lose it. I can't help it because the Word of God moves me. The Word of God moves me. Listen, folks, the Word of God ought to move you. The Word of God ought to make you tremble. The Word of God ought to make you shout. The Word of God ought to make you hungry and thirsty. The Word of God ought to stand you on your feet and set you in a good path. The Word of God, it's a good Word. And people that aren't excited about the Word of God need to get that way. Well, I'm not going to become that way. I just think it sounds a little bit fanatical. Oh, please. People will put cheese on their head and paint their skin green and stand in the middle of a freezing winter to shout somebody down a field carrying a pigskin. If they can do that, I can shout over the Word of the Lord. Come on. So I want you to say with me, He's with me. In it. Listen to Deuteronomy 31.6. Moses told young Joshua, who needed to be encouraged, he said, be strong and courageous. 
Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Joshua, the Lord is in this journey with you. He's in the trial. He's in the testing. He's with you in the fiery oven. He's with you in the raging rivers. He's in it with you. Isaiah 41.10, this is one of my all-time favorite verses. It says, so do not fear, God says to us, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What a great passage. You know, I was thinking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here they were. They were in Babylon, a totally idolatrous culture. And Nebuchadnezzar was a megalomaniac. Nebuchadnezzar wanted himself to be worshipped. And so he built a great big statue to himself. And he commanded everyone in the kingdom of Babylon, when trumpets were blown, they were to bow down and worship this statue. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, you know what, king? We just can't do that. If God delivers us, then he'll deliver us. But if not, we still cannot bow down to you and commit idolatry and worship an image of you. We only worship God. And it says that Nebuchadnezzar commanded that the oven be turned up many times hotter than normal. This oven was so hot that when they took the three Hebrew children to throw them in the fire, it incinerated the ones who threw them into the fire. But they went in there tied up. They went down into that burning, fiery oven tied up. And down they went into this roaring, raging fire. And Nebuchadnezzar, don't know how much time went by, but he finally decided to look down there. And you know the rest of the story. All of a sudden, he noticed that there was a mystical, mysterious fourth man down there with them. He looks down there. He sees a mystical, mysterious fourth man. He said, didn't we throw three down there? And they said, yes, O king, we did. Then what is this fourth one that I see down there? And then he noted something. He said, the ropes that had tied Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have been burned off, but they're alive down there walking around with this fourth man. Now, the fourth man was a Christophany. That means it was an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament before he became a human being. It happened over and over again in the Bible. So you've got Jesus is down in that oven. And the Bible says the king looked down and said, Look, I see four men. They're untied, walking in the middle of the fire, and they are unharmed. And the fourth one looks like the Son of God. Man. Now, I want you to notice where he was. It says he's in the middle of the fire. He wasn't on the outside of the oven shouting down to them, hey, guys, hang on. It's going to be okay. This will be done soon. No, the fourth man got in it. He got in it. He got in their fire, in their pain, in their trial, in their test. And he was walking around in the midst of the fire. And I want you to notice what happened. When the Son of God gets into your trouble with you. That which bound you is going to come loose. He burns off the ropes that bound you, the chains that held you, and you come out of the burning, fiery oven freer than when you went in. So everybody say, He's in it. 
The fourth man was in the middle of the fire with them. He was in it. And he's with you in it today, whatever it is for you. He's in it. He's not on the outside looking in. He's not hoping for the best for you. He's going to get in that fire with you, and he's going to strengthen you and encourage you. And that's encouraging to me. The presence of God is with me. Now, there's another way he encourages us. I love this. The Bible says he comforts us. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4, he comforts us in all of our troubles. How many of them? All our troubles. He comforts us. Now, that word comfort means to encourage. When you see the word comfort in the Bible, it's totally synonymous with encourage. So we could put it this way. He encourages us in all our troubles. It also means to be strengthened by consolation. And we are consoled by his word. So when we get into a trial, it's a guarantee. It's a promise. It's not a hope so, maybe so, perhaps so. But it's a promise. When I'm in a trial, when I'm in the fire, when I'm struggling, when I don't think I can take another step, when I'm worn out, when I'm beat down, when I am really discouraged, it says God encourages by strengthening and consoling us and comforting us in the Holy Ghost. And Bible comfort, just to be clarified, make a little distinction here. Bible comfort is not the same word as our word comfortable. It has nothing to do with comfortable. God does way more for us than make us comfortable when he comforts us. Now, I love being comfortable. Some of you love these chairs because they have lumbar backs and you're more comfortable. If we put metal chairs in here, some of you would find another church because you're not comfortable enough. I've got a chair in my house that when I come home from preaching and I'm tired and I'm drained, I look for that chair. I go straight for that chair. I get in that chair. That chair is shaped like me now. I get in that chair, and I just love leaning back and just say, oh, Lord, thank you for what you did today. And I really like it when I open my eyes, and my dogs are all in their little beds in the living room, and they're comfortable too. And I look over at the couch, and Kathy is sitting there, and she's comfortable too. And we just have a great, big, happy, comfortable house. I love that. But that is not what he's saying here. He's not saying God makes you comfortable. No, no. The word comfort is way stronger than that. When God comforts you in your trial, he speaks a word to your heart. Have you ever noticed that one word from God can stand you on your feet? One word from God can put the zest back in your step. One word from God. God can put the sparkle back in your eye, can get you up and moving again. One word from God can chase away the fog and remove the blues from your soul. And that's what he does. He speaks a word, and that's how he comforts us and encourages us. And when God speaks that word, he strengthens your faith He puts oil in your lamp. He lifts your depression. He restores your hope. He clarifies your calling, and he lightens your path. When God speaks a word, Bible comfort comes when God speaks a word to your heart, and that one word from God turns night into day and stands you on your feet again. Bible comfort pulls you off the sidelines and gets you back into the game.
Well, that's it for this time. I hope you enjoyed the message and that you've been encouraged to see that God really does want to encourage you. And speaking of encouragement, we here at Life Talk have been so encouraged by your feedback telling us how Life Talk has blessed you. Please keep those testimonies coming. We love hearing your story. And don't forget to check out our brand new website at lifetalkradio.us. Once again, that's lifetalkradio.us. And join us again next time as we continue with part two of the message, How God Encourages Us. Until then, I pray that God's rich blessings be yours. How God Encourages Us is the third message of Pastor Jeff's series, Encouragement in Discouraging Times. You can own a copy of this four-CD set for just $20 plus shipping. Log on to lifetalkradio.us or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. Get your copy of today's message for just $5 or purchase the entire series, Encouragement in Discouraging Times, for only $20 plus shipping by logging on to lifetalkradio.us or calling us toll-free at 877-884-3111 for more information. listening to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire. To find out more about Dr. Wickwire's ministry and Turning Point Church, visit us at lifetalkradio.us or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. That's 877-884-3111. And as a reminder, Life Talk is a listener-supported ministry. We exist to bring God's Word to thousands of people in your area on this great station. So your prayers and financial support go a long way in helping us with this endeavor. Please prayerfully consider helping us. Thanks again for listening today, and we look forward to meeting with you once again on our next Life Talk broadcast. Thank you.